You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 3, Episode 6. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there and welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy. Coming to you, as always, from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. I am super, super excited to be back with another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I just completed the interview for this episode uh, today, and it is July the 6th, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to get this done and push it out and enjoy a wonderful weekend And boy, it's hard. It's really hard here in Canada to have such amazing, beautiful weather and then know that it's all going to come to an end (laughs) once, once the snow flies again. But as we say here as farm boys, we're going to make hay while the sun shines. So I'm going to fully enjoy this weekend. I'm looking forward to getting out riding my, my quarter horse, Joe, um, trying to get into the mountains a little bit and do a little bit of fishing if I can. So I don't know what you guys are doing all over the world or wherever you're listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, but that is my plan for the weekend. Well, uh, on another separate note, I'm actually a little bit in mourning over watching my dear Portugal go down to Uruguay um, a few days ago here in the the qualifiers. And I shouldn't say qualifiers, but... um, after the group stage there, they they got ousted 2-1 by Uruguay. But as I look at the results today, seeing France <clears throat> take out Uruguay 2-0, um, my, I, I can't say that I'm bitter with Uruguay, but the reality is I don't feel too bad that they now lost to France. So being a fine Portuguese-speaking individual that I am, I am going to shift over to Brazil and uh, cheer them on against Belgium today. So You know, the World Cup is one of those things when it comes around, you know, you don't really follow it. At least I don't follow it as closely as I do hockey or baseball or basketball. But it sure is fun to to just feel like the whole world rallies around this event. It truly is a global sport. And as an immigration lawyer, um, it just, I don't know, it seems to mean a little bit more to me. So I'll now back um, Brazil and hope that they can get past Belgium and and work their way through again. Uh, But yeah, I hope you guys are also checking out the World Cup and have got your team. Um, If this was a live uh, Facebook video that I'm doing all the time in some of my other Facebook groups, I would ask you to to post your comments as to which team you are supporting and and why. (laughs) But because this is a One Direction podcast, Um, I will just let you guys uh, think to yourselves who your team is, and I'll encourage those who have not yet selected a team to now follow Brazil as uh, as the team to win. All right. Okay, enough of that. Let's get into immigration, which is the purpose of these podcasts to start with. And today I had a wonderful opportunity to reconnect 
with an immigration lawyer in Edmonton, Sharish Chotalia, and we're going to talk about police clearances. And some of you may think, oh, what's the big deal? Um, well, you must not be filing many applications through Express Entry or some of the other programs here in Canada because they are a big deal and they can be a downright nightmare sometimes. And uh, with the Canadian Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada's very rigid policy that requires them, if your client is is having trouble getting them, it can mean the difference between getting an application accepted or rejected. So, Let's jump to my interview with uh, with Sharish, and we will tell you why police clearances are something you better pay attention to. Well, I am back once again with one of my favorite guests for the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Sharish Chotalia. How are you, Sharish? I'm wonderful, Mark. How about you? I'm doing excellent. I'm so glad that you're able to come back and join me. Well, I'm delighted to be back. Um, it's always fun to chat about where we are in the immigration world. <laughs> and, and things change so rapidly. <laughs> absolutely. There's no shortage of things to talk about, that's for sure. Now, for our listeners, um, if you're just tuning in, and this is one of your first episodes that you've listened to, uh, Shrish joined me back on November the 26th, 2016, over a year and a half ago. Um, and the title of that podcast was Defending the Vulnerable. Um, an immigration lawyer's story. And Shrish in that podcast shared some wonderful stories and just experiences that she's had defending the vulnerable, uh, doing immigration advocacy work. And it was so much fun. Uh, and, you know, she really inspired me. Uh, I, I, in many respects, I'm, I'm a business immigration lawyer by trade, but uh, she really inspired me to to think about ways in which I could possibly expand some some of the limited advocacy work that I do. Obviously, I'm in no position to do what she does. But uh, it's, if you haven't listened to it, go back to Season 1, Episode 35, and listen to that interview with Sharish. Oh, thank you, Mark. You're so kind. <laughs> <laughs> so today, what are we going to chat about, about criminality and <laughs> criminal offenses, I hear? Yes, exactly. So I thought, you know, there's some things coming down the pipe uh, with respect to changes to um, some offenses like DUIs and things like that that are going to cause a lot of havoc for our clients. And those changes are, are you know, we see those in the horizon and, uh, you know, things that would make minor, or I should say less serious criminality, such as DUIs, serious criminality. And at the extent to which we uh, we see that with our clients, especially our American clients, well, that's a whole episode in and of itself, but we're going to put that aside. So if you're like, oh, yes, that's what I want to hear about, you're going to have to wait till another episode because today we're going to focus on police clearances. And this can be the tr- truly the bane of our existence as counsel, especially when we're trying to work with clients to get it and, um, and with the rigidity that exists within express entry, police clearances can be the thing that makes or breaks our applications. So, Shrish, why don't we start off with with the why? Why uh, why why does uh, citizen, uh, immigration, refugees, and citizenship Canada get so hung up on police clearances? What purpose do they serve? Why do they ask them of our clients? Well, we basically have to go to our framework legislation, the Immigration Refugee Protection Act. So, if we go to thirty six and thirty seven of the Act, we see the provisions that deal with uh, serious criminality, organized criminality. And what these provide is that, um, you know, that a permanent resident or in our case, a foreign national, because the person isn't yet 
doesn't have status is inadmissible to Canada on grounds of criminality for certain types of offenses. So if they've been convicted in Canada um, of certain types of offenses or outside of Canada for certain types of offenses, it makes them inadmissible. So naturally, uh, one of the requirements of obtaining your immigration status is to provide that police clearance that indicates that the person has no criminal record and then is not inadmissible. That makes perfect sense. So, okay, so we've got the why. Now, I guess one of the questions that most of us ask, and I think to a large extent, it's it's fairly settled, but, but in what circumstances or how do you know which countries that you need to get police clearances from? Well, what you can do is um, there, the... The IRCC website is is pretty good, and it'll give you right on there if you just type in police certificates. Um, it will give you how and how to to get the the criminal the police certificate, and it'll give you a list of countries. So if you punch in, find out how to get a police certificate, it'll list. Um, it'll say select a country or a territory. So you might type in Australia, for example, and if you type in Australia then it'll give you the specific details of how to obtain the certificate for that country. Now, the key, of course, is is to make sure that you are extremely vigilant in complying to the exact requirements. And Australia is a good country to take as an example, because not only do you need the national, but you might need, you will need the particulars of the, the um, uh, you know, of Queensland or, whichever um, jurisdiction you might have lived in. Uh, So I think the key, the takeaway is to make sure that you are extremely precise in meeting the requirements as outlined by our IRCC on the website. And one other thing I do recommend to my clients and to, and that I do as a practice, anytime I um, follow the website, I screenshot it Mm -hmm. because that way, you know, that on the date that you submitted, uh, the application, uh, whichever one you choose, this was the IRCC requirement. Because as you know, Mark, things change so quickly in the immigration world. Yeah, that's an understatement, Trish. <laughs> and when on the topic of Australian, I think those of us uh, who, who've been around a little while here in this game we called immigration law, um, will we'll know that when Express Entry was first launched, there was some uncertainty as to how rigid they would be in determining um, what would constitute a complete application. And I remember going to our national CBA meeting, and I think it was in Vancouver that year, and uh, having one of the officers say, oh, we're reasonable. So if you can't get a police clearance, um, then you know, just let us know, you know that you've made your efforts and, and then you'll be able to provide it at a later date. Well, lo and behold, I had an experience, and I'm positive that many, almost all of us who were involved with Express Entry in those early days, had an experience of getting your application returned for being incomplete. And so, in my situation, I had a couple from Australia, and uh, we were under an extremely tight timeline. We're talking, you know, I had one week from connecting with them to get their express entry application filed so that I could then in turn file a bridging work permit to keep him in status. And this person was pretty important, you know, 140,000 a year. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so 
we did not have, we didn't get his spouse's police clearance back um, for the state. And I think it was Victoria. I'm trying to remember. Uh, it could have been Queensland. But in Australia, they require the federal as well as the, uh, some of the regions require, it's essentially a, almost like a traffic report just to confirm whether or not there was a DUI or something along those lines that would also be considered criminality in Canada, but is usually only tracked at a local level. And so we didn't have it back yet. So we submitted the application and then very quickly, and, I, and, and uh, I'm trying to remember the full context here. Actually, do you know what? We had a little bit more than a week because I remember it took them time to get the uh, application and then turn it back to us. So anyways, when they returned it back to us, I had one week to refile. That's what it was. But I was, I was just shocked because this ran completely counter to what immigration had said at our national meeting. And so it totally caught me off guard. But in those circumstances, um, the, the spouse's state, uh, that particular region certificate, um, yeah, we, we didn't have it. And so now we know that it is extremely important, just like you indicated, to read all of the fine print. And when you go to um, how to get a police certificate uh, on the IRCC website, it does give you those instructions. And I love the suggestion that you gave, Sharish, about taking a screenshot so you could prove these were the instructions that we complied with. So that makes yes, a lot of well, sense. Just to follow up with what you said, Mark, I mean, the so the website says for the state of Queensland, you must submit a traffic history, which goes back to your 18th birthday uh, or the day on which the first driver's Australian driver's license was issued. And then for residents of Victoria, you must submit a full license history, which goes back to the 18th birthday or the day on which their first Australian driver's license was issued. So I had a case where a person did their express entry on their own and did not provide the sub, the sub um, traffic history information and was refused. And we even went as far as doing a JR, but, you know, we were not successful on that because, of course, you have to provide a complete application. But the argument I was trying to make was that there was a duty of fairness because you had indicated in your case you were given a week to uh, yeah. make good. And in his case, he was not given that. So I was trying to argue that... <laughs> That the duty of fairness would um, require someone when everything else is met, met the office, the office simply to indicate the IRCC officer could simply indicate, well, listen, you're missing this one sub element. And if you send it in within a week, we'll still process, which is kind of the fairness that you're in your case, your client received. So there is no. Um, I mean, it's a tough argument. So it's uh, the federal court has not gone that far as you talked, as you t- mentioned, the complete application rule surpasses um, in the jurisprudence, the uh, duty of fairness in such cases. So again, it's extremely, it's imperative that you meet those, you know, every element of what's set out on the website. Absolutely. Okay, so obviously we need to, once we know which countries that we need to get them uh, from, we can go back to the RCC website and we can read those instructions with meticulous detail and know how do we get it from that country. But Shrish, how do we know which countries to get them for for our clients? What are the rules that IRCC has for us in, in that context to know which countries we need? Well, every we know that we need it for... First of all, you have to determine, are you under express entry or are you under another program? So you need to be very 
um, meticulous in determining the requirements of the program you're under. Because for express entry, it is only uh, six, you know, you need to get it for any country in which you lived for six months or more for the last 10 years. Now, that is different. Uh, that just changed recently, Mark. I think you were uh, mentioning to me that there was a, we're not, it just changed recently. But for other applications, it's, you need the police certificate for any country in which you live for six months or more since the age of 18. So generally, it is since the age of 18 rule, which is what I sort of grew up with in quotes <laughs> over my many years of um, immigration practice. But there's this um, shorter period and requirement for express entry. And I'm not sure what the policy requirements are, but perhaps you have some thoughts on that. Well, you know, and that's interesting because I've thought a lot about that as well. You know, when you're looking at someone's criminal past to determine whether or not they're admissible to Canada, it's it's 18, the age of adulthood. And uh, so I've always puzzled and, and, and wondered why they would do that. So it's six months or more in a row within the last 10 years is what Express Entry asks. And um, the recent changes I know that you're alluding to um, also addressed a very, very convoluted and once again, I, I don't understand why they did this, um, a, assessment as to those six months. So for years and years, it was always in a row, right? It was always six right. consecutive months. Um, but then for whatever reason, when Express Entry was launched, they decided that they wanted it cumulative, cumulatively, <laughs> if I can pronounce that. Um, and so every single day that you spent in that country over the full span of 10 years, or in many cases back to 18, they would tally it up. And many times clients wouldn't think about that. And it would only surface in the context of their travel histories. And so when IRCC they would get the application when they're assessing the EAPR and express entry. Then they would come back and ask for, you know, additional clarification on travel history to confirm that the person was physically present in these countries. They would tally it up. And if they found that they had spent more than six cumulative days, or cumulative months um, in that country, and they hadn't provided a police clearance, they would refuse the application. It was so cruel. Well, just recently, they, they now flip back to the consistent approach it's always been, which is six months or more in a row. Uh, but still, this, this last 10 years, or until the age of 18, whichever is sooner, essentially, um, is, uh, is what the rule is now. So you have to be careful. You have to really, really pay attention to, um, uh, yeah, to, to, to those rules and make sure that you're not missing a country because... When your client divulges their travel history um, and where they've been living, obviously that's going to trigger an ability for the officer to see. Um, but now it's a little bit softer in terms of the punitive aspects because every little trip that you make back to your country is not necessarily going to trigger the need for a new police clearance. However, when we get to validity, that's another factor. So people will often ask, how long is a police clearance valid? And uh, the answer is fairly clear. If you're still living in that country, then it's six months that that police clearance is valid for. So if you're trying to submit a police clearance that's less than six months old, uh, sorry, that's more than six months old and you're currently living in that country, then that could, and I always say could, because there's been all kinds of crazy things. 
you know, we've seen them throw the book at some people. We've seen them give other clients an ability to provide a new updated one. And so there is no hard and fast rule of thumb. But you're, if you're submitting a police clearance for the country that you lived in and it's older than six months, you're running a significant risk. However, that's right. That's right. Because yeah. Your website does say this police certificate must have been issued no more than six months before the date you submit your application for the country where you currently live. So yeah, they make a live. distinction between where you currently live and for any other country in which you need a police certificate. Exactly. And that's the second part of this component, you know, this, this, uh, this requirement. If you have not been back to that country, since you obtain the police clearance, then it's still valid, even though it may, might be a year or two years old. So, exactly. so there's a little bit of flexibility there, which only makes sense. How are you going to get convicted of a criminal offense, or, or you know, or have committed an act in a in a country that you have not actually been physically <laughs> present in? So, I you know, I'm, I'm sure someone could muse some you know cyber terrorism or something, and you receive a conviction, but uh, yeah, they haven't quite gone that far. <laughs> So yes, so, it would require some uh, some uh, physical gymnastics and space time. <laughs> absolutely. Now, so we got now our, our listeners have a, a pretty general idea of the ins and outs of 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 the the why and the when and 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 uh, the where essentially. But I thought it would be really fun just to talk a little bit about some of the the more nuanced countries and some crazy scenarios that we've seen. Our, our clients have to deal with. And uh, Shrish, in our prior discussions, you had mentioned uh, something that I had also experienced in the past, but it's with, with Dubai and obtaining police clearances there. Do you want to jump in and share, share your story? Yes, you know, it's really, um, I think each of us in our immigration practice over years probably dealt with um, clients from who have lived or worked in Dubai. And um, in Dubai, often these live-in caregivers have provided services there. And it has been uh, a practice in Dubai to make loans to, um, to people at very high interest rates. And in Dubai, um, the employers will take the uh, caregivers or the domestic workers or the foreign workers' passport and hold on to it. And... Um, Often they're not even, you know, it's very difficult to get payment uh, for services. So often uh, I've found that some of these um, workers, often from the Philippines, have had um, the need to accept loans and they sign up these agreements where they're just um, told, we'll sign up and we'll give you $10,000 and so on just to survive. And so then what happens if they've taken a high interest loan and when they leave the country, if that loan has not been repaid uh, with the interest of 10% or more, some outrageous rates, sometimes even much, much higher, then Dubai will say that they will, uh, it makes it a criminal code offense. And if you leave without addressing the debt, when you return, even for the purposes of obtaining your criminal uh, clearance, your police certificate for Dubai, you can be arrested on the spot and put into jail. And so I was kind of shocked when I learned of this, but this has been an ongoing issue for, for, for people who have lived and worked in Dubai. And it, it was a real issue for one of my clients. And um, 
we didn't know how we were going to deal with it because Canada wanted, of course, the Dubai um, police certificate. Now, I think she ended up somehow having a friend obtain that police certificate um, uh, who who was there, but they actually will, the Dubai authorities were insisting that she not return, that she herself return to obtain it. So it can become extremely onerous and stressful. And um, I'm not sure if you've had this, what your experience was with it and how you dealt with it, Mark. Yeah. And one thing just to point out to our listeners, um, in order for someone to be found criminally inadmissible to Canada, the offense that's committed abroad has to actually equate to offense in Canada, uh, you know, a, an act of parliament, essentially, and be of a certain degree of severity. Um, and we won't get into all of the criminal inadmissibility issues. We'll save that for the next podcast. But it's not an offense to have a debt, a bad debt in, in no. Dubai, whether, you know, whether it's Abu Dhabi, Dubai, wherever in the UAE. And that's really what we're talking about here is the United Arab Emirates. Um, it's not an offense. But the problem is you can't get that police clearance. And if you can't provide it to IRCC, then they're going to refuse your application. So that's really what we're dealing with here. But like you indicated, um, I had a prior uh, a client, I can't remember the context, it was a few years back, but she had the exact same thing, domestic worker, kind of entrapped into this, this, um, this loan scheme, and then facing a criminal conviction. And I was really, uh, you know, we were really concerned because it was taking a long time, we had deadlines to get the police clearance provided. And in the same fashion, she was able to have a friend there, ultimately obtain it. Um, and of course the police clearance showed the bad debt. And then I had to make my arguments uh, explaining that that is not, you know, it doesn't equate to offense in Canada and, and it went fine. But, um, but for, for many people, it can hang up your application. And now that express entry, especially, and we keep coming back to express entry because it's the most volatile and forgiving. Although Spousals is making a gain on express entry these days, they're also applying that one touch policy to Spousals and kicking them back if there's anything you know, that's not complete. But in the context of uh, express entry, they've now reduced the time period to submit your EAPR after getting your invitation to apply um, to 60 days from 90. So you have even less time. So these are, yeah, so this is, these are real, real significant issues. Yes, it it becomes very problematic. And I don't know how, you know, I I actually, well, and I'm sure you do, we all, we each of us as lawyers advise our clients that to get their police certificates started early, um, you know, really as soon as possible. And if you haven't returned to the country uh, to do, you know, just start and uh, because you can't wait until the, you get an, an invitation to apply. Absolutely. And, you know, there are, there is some discretion and IRC describes it as exceptional circumstances where if they, it's a country where they recognize it just takes longer than the time period that they give you, you know, you can always make the pitch, you know, and provide proof that you've requested it. And the key is that you've requested that police clearance immediately upon getting your invitation to apply. So if you, if you wait till, you know, five days before the deadline to submit your electronic application for permanent residence and then provide this explanation with documentation saying, oh, we've tried. 
well, they're probably going to come back and it's always up to the officer that's adjudicating the application, but they're probably going to going to come back and say, well, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. So always make sure that you, if you're not in that country, your client doesn't no longer lives in that country, get it, you know, because it doesn't necessarily, it's not going to expire. Obviously, if it's maybe 15 years old, then maybe, <laughs> I, yes. I don't know if an officer could always come back and say, well, that's a little bit too old. But you've got more flexibility. And then if it's the country in which you live, then, you know, know you've got about six months of validity with it. So uh, just use your, yeah, use your best efforts. And if your best efforts result in an inability to get the uh, police clearance in the time allotted, then provide all evidence that you can to show that, you know, why there's a delay and which steps you've taken and proof that you've actually made the request. So we we always always want to do everything we can to uh, uh, to show that you know that it's really outside of your client's control. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so but it, <laughs> it it certainly makes it challenging, more challenging for people from certain countries than others. Oh, unbelievable! And <clears throat> that reminds me of another client that I have, and this is another country, which is Iraq, and yes. he. It, it, you know, and sometimes we'll have military personnel who have who have served in different countries, and uh, while they're there, there's an obligation to provide a clearance. But in many cases, um, the government, such as you know mil- the U.S. military, for example, they they can provide their own clearance um, when a person has been has been stationed on a base in a foreign country. So you can get around having to go through the the domestic um, searches for for clearances uh, for military personnel. But my client was a contractor. So he was a heavy duty mechanic that was contracted to the US um, uh, Army, and was stationed in Iraq, in Baghdad. And um, so he wasn't a military commissioned officer. And so he, you know, he wasn't a member of the US military formally. So we had to get an Iraqi police clearance. And so we had to go through these agents. And you know, it was hard because, uh, you know, in the end we got it, but we had to go through, you know, this one uh, through direct, well, how do we do this? I think we first reached out to the embassy of Iraq uh, in Ottawa. (laughs) Then they said, well, you have to use local agents. And here's one or two that we recommend who, interestingly enough, charged about $1,500 to $2,000 to get this police clearance. And then what came back, well, the government accepted it, but they they almost were going to make my client fly to Ottawa to give his fingerprints in person there. And so sometimes you deal with these huge, huge barriers. And uh, so obviously we had to extend and extend and extend the the uh, the request for the police clearances. And, and they were willing to accommodate us for obvious reasons when I explained it. But, but they were relentless. In the end, we still had to provide it. And I'm yet to have a circumstance where they actually waived the police clearance. Um, I'm sure there's some countries maybe where they acknowledge that you're just not going to be able to get it. But I, you know, I've never had a situation myself. Right. And I mean, I can understand why, you know, I can understand why they want it. It's just the practicalities of how to obtain it, right? Obviously, you do want a police certificate for Iraq, but I don't know with the challenges that you just indicated, it makes it almost sometimes impossible. <laughs> yeah, it, it sure does. So you just do the best you can, make your pitch, and <clears throat> where mercy is needed, <laughs> beg for it. <laughs> well, exactly. You just have to beg. And at least if you've put it in writing, you know, I always try to make the record as clear and succinct and 
uh, rational as possible because if you have to, then you can always challenge it in the federal court if you if you need to, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's important that you document everything that your client is doing to um, meet the requirements. And then if you're unable to, at least that gives some, you know, provides a record for a federal court judge to look at it and say, well, look, I mean, what do you expect the person to do? Good point. That's that's actually a great practice tip. You know, what I do a lot of express entry and um, I have a lot of clients from Pakistan. And like we talked about before, we need to read the instructions very, very carefully. Well, <clears throat> in some countries... Um, like Pakistan, for example, and I think maybe I addressed this a little bit before, I can't remember, um, the the police clearances are issued by local town or, or city police officers. And so it's not a national thing. It's it's more local district officers. And uh, and so it's all based on residents. And sometimes uh, residences that, you know, and where you're registered to have been living is not where you've actually been living. And so right. you'll put in your history that you, you know, your residence history that you've lived in one city where you're registered, you, you know, you never bothered to move your registration of, of where you, you actually live to that, to that place because it was just maybe a temporary place where you went to school or worked, but your, your real home residence is, is in a different city or different region. And so the problem arises sometimes when um, you're required to plain, obtain a police clearance from those uh, temporary stops, I guess, where you've lived, where you've been technically living. But then the local police authority will say, well, we have no residence, no, no record of your residence being here. We won't issue it to you. And, right. uh, and so in the days when the police clearances uh, were required for any place that you had lived for six months cumulatively, this caused real havoc for especially um, citizens of Pakistan because uh, if they couldn't get those police clearances from the, the city, there wasn't a real good opportunity to explain it to an immigration officer because they didn't always understand what it would take, you know, and, and that it was truly impossible for them to get it. And uh, fortunately now with the six months in a row, although it's still a reality, it's, it's not quite the extent to which it, it, it was a problem before. But that's one uh, more recent circumstance, uh, you know, country in particular where problems can can really oh, arise. Well, I mean, even on the website, they're saying that in, for Pakistan is in larger cities, there's a, 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 a way to do it. In smaller cities, towns or rural areas, you're dealing with a what they call an SSP, a senior superintendent of police. And if you live in a federally administered tribal area in Pakistan or areas where there is no police presence, there's a... There are agencies divided into tessels where there is a non-gazetted officer. So it's just unbelievable, um, you know, in terms of the system, first of all, in Pakistan. And then the, um, the, the way in which Canada, I think, is trying legitimately to address the issue. Yeah. So I think from a... You know, if you're looking at uh, the IRCC offices trying to administer it, you, you have to, you know, I think we have to be cognizant of the fact that it is very difficult for Canada as a country to ensure that there is compliance with Canadian laws when there are just a myriad different um, uh, systems around the world and... Um, and quite frankly, there's also a lot of corruption in various countries around the world, right? 
Absolutely. So, I mean, it's not unheard of for people to uh, pay money for uh, certain services, including police clearances. So it certainly is challenging uh, for IRCC and and for Canadian security um, institutions and agencies to put in policies and practices that uh, are both transparent, legitimate, rational, and at the same time, do ensure the security and safety of Canadians. That's well, well said, Shrish. And, you know, sometimes as practitioners, we get so focused ourselves on our, our own clients, and rightly so. But, um, you know, that's always, always good for us to take a step back and and just think about the why. And you did a good job, obviously, explaining in the beginning why police clearances are required. Um but in the end of the day, we have to also acknowledge that it's not easy. And the primary objective on the security side is to ensure that this person is not a danger to Canada. And uh, that is not an easy task. And so, <laughs> and so we'll, 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 we'll give some deference to the, the fine officers who are doing the best they can in those circumstances. Well, absolutely. I, I don't envy them. I think I'd prefer to be on our side dealing with the individual clients and um, rather than trying to figure out the larger systemic issues. Absolutely. But I'm still going to hold those those officers that are just cruel and heartless to task because <laughs> <laughs> how hard is it to say, hey, you forgot your Victoria uh, State uh, whatever oh, yes. traffic report. Um, I'm not going to return your application and destroy your life. Instead, I'll just wait, you know, two days for you to send it to me. So, or oh. upload it electronically the very moment. So, so in those Absolutely. circumstances, I'm not cutting them any slack because I think that's just cruel and heartless. Oh, but, uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think you're speaking to the person that likes to take them to court. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a nice, you know what, that's, that's an, a hugely important role because, it, you know, there is with with a real lack of any type of um, recourse for someone who they feel had their application wrongly returned or otherwise, the federal court is pretty much the only option that you have from a practical standpoint. So uh, the work that you do is super important. Well, Sharish, thank you so very, very much for joining me. I think this was a really great topic, one that I hadn't covered uh, in the past, but one that um, is super, super important in the context of filing applications for our clients. So thank you so much for, for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. And I wish you and uh, all of the listeners uh, a wonderful experience in the world of immigration practitioners. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And before we jump away here... Um, if someone said, oh boy, I, I need help with my express entry application, I need help with this police clearance issue, or oh, I got re my application refused or returned for whatever reason and I need someone to help me <laughs> file a judicial review, what's the best way for them to reach you, Sharish? Oh, well, the best way is just to email me at uh, info, I-N-F-O, at sharishchotalia.com, which is kind of challenging there at S-H-I-R-I-S-H-C-H-O-T-A-L-I-A.com. Perfect. And I'll make sure I put a link to that in the show notes, um, as well as a link to some of the things that we've been talking about, where to get police clearances and, and just some of the recent policy changes uh, from Express Entry and IRCC related to police clearances. So Excellent. thank you so much, Rish. Have a wonderful day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. 
I always have a lot of fun with Trish. She is just so down to earth, so easy to talk to. You know, she's one of those lawyers that does it right. She truly cares about the causes that she uh, is pursuing. She does a lot of pro bono work. And, um, you know, sometimes we can get caught up in chasing the money game uh, as as lawyers. And, and I know we don't deliberately do it, but the reality is we have to pay bills. We have to support our staff. You know, we have to be making money. We are a business. But doing pro bono work and, uh, you know, like Shrish does is, is something that truly has inspired me over the years. And I would strongly encourage you guys to go back and check out that episode that I did before uh, with her on protecting the vulnerable. Um, you can learn more about Shrish there as well, her background and things like that. But uh, it was a lot of fun talking about this. And I think everybody realizes, and probably most of you practitioners out there have also had some horror stories with trying to get police clearances. And when I think back to my client who had to get the, the police clearance from Iraq, I'll be honest, I, you know, I don't even know how legitimate that police clearance really is. And it's like, you know, many of the different aspects of immigration, um, the visa officers are, are uh, they have their checklist in front of them and police clearance is one of the things that they require. And they probably don't think too much about um, you know, the source, as long as it, comp- it conforms with the technical requirements of the police clearance um, of what they're looking for, then they accept it. But boy, that Iraqi client, like it was pretty shady. Like the people <laughs> that he had to use, it was kind of like, I'm not going to say it was like bribing. It wasn't that because the consulate in Iraq, uh, the Iraqi consulate is the one who directed him to use these interme- intermediaries. <laughs> but you can think about it. Oh boy, you know, that guy's making some serious cash getting police clearances for people who are not Iraqi citizens. Anyways, um, yeah, so I hope you enjoyed this, enjoyed this episode. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure. This is a real passion of mine. And as I turn my mind back to punch, uh, pushing out more episodes, um, I, I welcome your feedback. I'd love for you to go to iTunes and, and just rate the podcast it allows it to get a little bit more reach as, as more people interact and provide feedback. And those reviews are, um, are really important. So if you could do that, that would be great. Also, if you have a topic idea, and some of you have reached out to me, which is awesome. So I've got some new ideas for topics. And if you yourself would love to join me as a guest on the podcast, just send me an email to mholthe, M-H-O-L-T-H-E, at stringham.ca. And Stringham is S-T-R-I-N-G-A-M, no H, dot C-A. And uh, I'd love to, uh, yeah, I'd love to talk to you about your idea and see if we can get you on. Um, I want to express appreciation always for all of you faithful listeners. Um, the podcast, <clears throat> lately I've been able to start pushing out more episodes, but there was a little bit of a lull there as I experimented with some other things. And I've got a little private express entry uh, Facebook group that's got about 115,000 people in it now. And so I'm experimenting a little bit with that. And uh, as lawyers, we're always looking for different ways to you know, promote ourselves and to get our, our presence out there. And because I'm located in Lethbridge, I've got to work harder than a lot of you guys. You know, those of you who are practicing in larger centers typically don't have to hustle and work as hard as, as some of us who are trying to be immigration lawyers in smaller communities. And that is me. If I had to rely on uh, the, the city of Lethbridge, Alberta as the source of immigration for myself, I would have had to stop practicing a long time ago. But thanks to this wonderful world of this online world, um, social media, marketing, content marketing, 
I've been, <clears throat> I've been able to do some pretty cool things. And so I'm very, very grateful for technology and all that it has done to help me grow my practice. If, um, like I said, if any of you have any ideas or suggestions, fire them my way. But uh, other than that, I think this closes up this episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I want to wish all of you guys all the best as you navigate this crazy world that we call immigration. Take care. Oh, Canada, greatest country in the of your soil This place I love my home and native land We welcome all and with you we'll stand We'll set you straight with law, policy and practice Here on the Canadian Immigration Podcast